Dr. Mark Malone from Advanced Pain Care on how the spinal cord stimulator blocks pain signals, bringing patients relief at last. And we're able to tune this device to mimic that frequency and essentially block it. I've seen people shed tears of joy in the recovery room when they wake up from their light anesthesia and we turn this device on and they realize their back pain is gone. They cry for joy. Advanced Pain Care at 512-244-4272 or austinpaindoctor.com. They're live, local, and talking about the stories that matter to you. Share your opinions with Mark and Melinda at 512-836-0590. Now, here are Mark and Melinda. 503, thanks a lot for joining us. Jack is here producing. One of the stories we're discussing with you right now is out of the Houston area. ABC 13 is reporting. At a elementary school in the New Caney School District, a seven-year-old second-grade boy brought a knife to class and threatened to stab another boy because the boy with the knife really liked the girlfriend of the boy who was threatened with a stabbing. And the boy also brought a ring to give to the girl, presumably after he stabbed the fellow classmate. The stabbing did not actually occur just just threatened and the knife was there and i have to wonder the story didn't address this the dad said that the school just told him and said hey we're trying to keep this on the down low did they inform the little girl's parents it doesn't say i i would think that they should know yes yes they should now uh rua has called in from san marcus and was nice enough to hold through the news break rua is a teacher and wants to weigh in on this subject Rua, thank you for holding over. So uh, you were about to talk about it is important for families to get resources to help them out. Go, go ahead with your point there. My point is that as part of the investigation from the school administration, it, I mean, this is a cry for help for a seven-year-old or for any child that brings a weapon to school. So we not only with the discipline, we need to treat it as such. We need, the families need resources. Who knows, maybe this child is out of hand at home and the parents do need help or mentally ill or, you know, maybe in an unsafe situation at home. So, Yeah, I would have to think that there's something that is not right in this home for them to get the idea of I've got to eliminate any love interest threat that may come along, that there's that much jealousy or rage, and then following through with the only way to do that is to take a weapon and grabbing a knife and taking it to school. Right. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Something Something's not right. And, you know, we always talk about how our public schools are broken. But this is where the community has to step in. And the resources that are in the community, maybe the parents can arm me a little twisted by a situation like this and by the, by the people that can do that to, to help their child or to, you know, mm-hmm. to at least, you know, that there is a problem with your child. This isn't typical behavior for a seven-year-old, obviously. Even in today's schools, yeah, we see it sometimes, but it's not typical. Um, and it's, it can't be the teacher's job. Do, do, <laughs> so, do you do you suspect Rua that this second grader may have had previous outbursts of violence or I, I serious behavior? I am a, yes, I'm. I would say there has been a pattern probably since the student started school of them disrupting the learning environment at the minimum. So 
you know, I would say yes. But, you know, sometimes kids do things that shock you. But it's just really, it's you know, it's not just a matter of disciplining the child. It's also a matter of, you know, something the parents need to be, you know, coached. Oh, right. You need to find out what's going on, where this came yes. from. Yes. It just can't be a suspension. That's not the crux of the matter here. So even though, yes, I believe even a seven-year-old should be suspended because the kids, they shouldn't just show back up like nothing happened. Well, yeah, so. but in this case, you've got a seven-year-old suspension would mean being at home. And until you know what that home environment's like, right. I don't know that that's necessarily the smartest move. Absolutely. Absolutely, and that's exactly what I'm saying is that there is maybe there's, you know, a CPS referral that needs to happen, and I, I just don't know if we are using those community resources enough in schools, and maybe it's just because we don't have the resources, but that's why I'm, I'm thinking, and I kind of started to touch on it before the break, that is, maybe there needs to be some sort of state mandate. Like, if X happens at school, then the Y is CPS is involved, or family, uh, you know, parenting classes have to happen. Um, something, something. Rua, uh, you've that been child a child just can't go back. Mm-hmm. You indicated you've been a teacher for 24 years. Uh, yes, you don't sir. have to go back many years where it was inconceivable that something like this would happen in a second grade classroom. Right. Right. Yeah, it's it's not it's not something you see that young very very often, and and you know when it does, it's just heartbreaking. It's usually, Rua, thank some you. Sort of bad situation. Thank you so much, Rua. Thanks for hanging on. Yeah, again, thanks for what you do for teachers. Have a great day. We appreciate it. Five one two eight three six zero five ninety. Jordan is in Elgin on KLBJ. Hello, Jordan. How are you? Doing yourself. Doing well, Jordan. Welcome. Hey, uh, second time callers. I listen to y'all every day. Y'all are amazing. Y'all keep up the good work, all right? Outstanding. Thank you. We appreciate you calling us back. Um, So I wanted to comment on what happens to the kids. They are suspended from school, but they have to go to an alternative school. Um, I don't know where the other towns are, but I can speak for LISD. I was part of that school when I was a sophomore. I got in trouble. had to go to another school for 45 days. The, they keep everybody in their grade level in their own wing. So anybody that's from first grade to fifth grade, they're in their own separate wing in the school. But they did have it for that young of a student? Yep. Yeah, I was in there um, where the computers were at, that we had to do our basic computer class, was a common area. It was right next to where the, those kids were. And um, we're not allowed to talk, but we can you know, write notes to each other. On the secret, there was a kid there. He was a second grader uh, for being got in trouble for uh, skipping school and drinking alcohol with his friends. Oh my gosh! And yeah, they're in there from first grade all the way to fifth grade. And you said uh, was that the Leander District? Yeah, LASD. It's right across from. Uh, it used to be the old middle school, but it's now uh, where the old middle school was. It's in front of it now, right what? there downtown Leander. In the in the case of this seven-year-old second grader we're talking about who brought the knife and threatened another boy. What do, what do you think is going on in that kid's home on a regular basis? What's he being allowed to watch, consume, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, with internet nowadays, when I grew up, YouTube and all that, MySpace was just starting to come out. 
we were outside kids all day, every day. Now everything's on a phone, social media. I mean, it's easy just for him to see what dad's watching or mom's watching and pick up on it. Them kids, they take information in so much, so quick. Yeah, uh, they do. And I, and I, you're right on with the the exercise part of this, whether it is exercise as in fun you're just out there running around chasing each other playing tag or if you're just actually out there you know doing the push-ups that's an important yep. part that is missing in kids lives so i remember when we were kids with bb guns and stuff we didn't have an issue because everything had an orange cap on it everybody knew what was it we, we were playing you know indians and cowboys cop robbers and there's a line where you start to get ticket too far they don't know what, where that line's at. Jordan, thanks so much. Have a great afternoon. We appreciate you it. Too. Thank you so mm-hmm. much, y'all. Bye, right, Jordan. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. 512-836-0590. It's Mark and Melinda with you. 511 at KLBJ. And now, back to The Mark and Melinda Show. Join the conversation at 512-836-0590. Thanks for joining us, 517. Hope you're having a great afternoon. Let's go to Mary on KLBJ. Hello, Mary. Hello, how are you? Very well. Thank you, Mary. Welcome. Thank you. You have some thoughts on the uh, incident in the second grade classroom? I do. Um, First and foremost, I don't think any of it should be uh, described as political, Democrats, Republican. We're talking about children and safety of children. So I really have a hard time when any kind of media brings in Democrats want to do this or Republicans want to have this because that's not the source of this. The source is safety of children. The second thing is yourself, yourselves, and the teacher kind of attack these parents. Like, what kind of household do they have? What kind? Of, we don't know if the parents, sometimes parents are the last ones to know. We've seen that in courtrooms, like, you know, not lately. But what we don't know is that here again, we're targeting these parents as like, this kid must have a bad background. He must have a bad home. He must. We forget that social media out there to these kids, no matter what grade, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, we could go on and on. This child might have been without other children, seen some stupidity like this. So we can't go target the parent. What I do strongly agree is that every parent in that school should have got notification that this happened today, the situation, and please be on alert. Please warn your children. It, it goes all back to children. And I have, you know, I have, I'm in psychology, and so I know these things, and it's really hard to convince someone because media speaking this way already makes the parents or this child a bad kid already or a bad parent something's wrong at home we don't know those facts and i do agree with it we do need to get more awareness to parents to schools to everybody because this is just like second nature now and it's getting younger and younger kids that are happening and it's really truly sad to see this happening and i feel like you're a really good outreach to people but I don't like hearing right away, like, you know, this child, how far back he might have, he might not. We as human beings all make mistakes, and some of them are really stupid. And this was a really pretty stupid mistake, but we don't know. And so these are the things I feel like in this time we're going to discuss this, okay? Where is the problem? Do both parents work? Is there one parent? Is there two, you know, is he with the grandmothers? There's just so many scenarios and I just feel like we need to just analyze the whole thing before saying 
the child's bad or the parents or something's at the home. And so you, you are important. agreeing, Mary, that the home situation should be investigated? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, definitely. You need to know what is coming. But again, we don't know if it's a bad home or a bad environment. We just don't know these days because many times parents, like they say, on situations are the last to know. Yes, should we have awareness? But many times children are doing things at school that we're not there to watch them. You know, kids are prohibited from TikTok, but does that mean that they are not watching it with their friends at school that are allowed to do it? So it's so hard to follow up with parents nowadays. They have even a harder role than we did. You know, I'm, you know, in my age up there, my children are grown even back then. Nowadays, it's so hard to be a child, but it's also hard to be a parent. Cause Mary, so uh, Mary, what is a scenario where a seven-year-old boy would develop the idea that he is going to murder a love rival in the classroom in order to win the affection of a girl that he likes? You know, in anything we see, if you turn on TV, media, everything, what is it all? It's all violence, 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 right? We've seen it so many times, and what is the easiest thing for them to say? They've seen, yes. They might have seen something at home, heard something home, but it might have not come from home either. It might have been somewhere, say he stayed at a friend's house and they saw something they should or heard something. That's where we go back to go, this go back to the source of it. First and foremost, start with the home, start with the parents, start with the environment, and then move on from there to finally pinpoint what are the problems? What is the true problem here? Because there definitely is a problem if a child has enough guts to take a weapon to school or a ring just because you're fighting over a girl in the second grade. You know, what are you going to do when you're high school and, you know, senior? You know, that's, it's scary. And yes, to answer the question, there is disciplinary. And in that fact, when would you have ever thought 20 years ago that you'd have to have ISS or alternative school for elementary? But yes, in those classrooms, guess what? Those classrooms are full. Well, Mary, uh, You're actually agreeing with what Melinda and I were saying. We said this needs to go into the home and see what kind of environment he's been experiencing at home. That was our point, and you're completely agreeing with us. And on to the other part about when you started about this isn't a Republican or Democrat or a politician thing. I think you may have just heard a little bit of what we said. We were talking in conjunction with this about some Maryland Democrat politicians that want to change a school policy or actually I think it's the state policy to eliminate penalties for students who commit crimes at school. Right. And I did hear all of that, too. You know, and I'm like, how's that that they bring it into that? But I totally I do agree with you all in many points. I think maybe it's just the verbiage, how it comes out to people when I heard it and hear it in this way, too. So it's, you know, how the projection is that comes out. But as far as like penalties, I don't care what grade you're in. If you made the choice, the bad choice of bringing something to school to hurt another person, I don't care what grade you're in. Um, yes, do it according to your age, and if it's worse, yes, you know. But I think it's wrong, wrong that you know that schools have they're so limited. And I will tell you that because I was in the school system. Schools are so limited on what they can do because they're protected with this privacy law. Are, are, do you do, do you work with adolescents in your practice? I worked in I worked in a really privately funded school where and it's a perfect scenario. These were very wealthy parents that they send these children to schools and they were in public schools and they put them at these other schools and it's just kind of like you're saying it's a sad situation at home. They kind of wipe their hands and want society to deal with their children. 
All right. Instead uh, of them dealing with their children. And that's the sad part. All know? right. Mary, thank you. You have a good afternoon. 512-836-0590. You can call, you can text to join the conversation. The city council in Seattle thought it was enacting a wonderful law to help make money possible for DoorDash, Uber Eats, Instacart drivers so they could earn more. And it's now been in effect for one month in Seattle. And it's not bringing in the results the city council had hoped for. Uh, This story says right now, DoorDash, Instagram, Instacart, and Uber Eats now uh, are complying with this law and the drivers are making $26 or more per hour to comply with what the city council enacted. But there are problems as a result, rippling through the economy. Yes, one of those things, as anybody could have predicted, you're going to pass those costs on to your consumers. Well, when the consumers start seeing the higher price, they then make that decision, you know what, I don't need this as much as I used to. Mm -hmm. And they stop ordering, and that's exactly what has happened in Seattle. They're not getting the orders. So the orders have been reduced for drivers and couriers. The orders for the different businesses where they were picking them up from have been reduced. So that means it's actually hurting the delivery drivers. This is a prime example of making policy with your feelings because you think it's the right thing to do, but not really having any data to back it up, you end up hurting the people that you claimed you were out to help in the first place. Uber Eats says our business is already down 30% in four weeks as a result of this new law in Seattle. All of the others agree. DoorDash, they're all saying the same thing. They say... Fortunately, most of the city council members who enacted this are no longer on the city council. We're going to try to go back to this new group on the council and see if they will do away with it or at least amendment and lower the requirements. And we'll have to see how that comes out. I don't have a lot of hope for them when the spokesperson for the Seattle's Labor Standards Department said, oh, it's too too early, far too early to make this kind of assessment. And by the way, uh, the law does not require companies to increase prices for customers. Again, do you know how this works? Do you know how businesses works when they incur higher cost? Of course they pass it along. They're in the business of making a profit. Here are the numbers. You can weigh in on that one as well. 512-836-0590. It's Mark and Melinda, 527 at KLBJ. And now, back to the Mark and Melinda Show. Join the conversation at 512-836-0590. Hope you're having a great day. Thanks a lot for being here. Jack is producing. If you're just touching base, uh, here's one of the stories we're discussing. It's out of the New Caney School District in the Houston area. A couple of days ago, a second-grade seven-year-old boy brought a knife to class and threatened to stab another boy. It was jealousy over a girl in the classroom. Uh, Here is the father of the boy who was threatened. Brandon Ferris is his name. He spoke with ABC 13 News in Houston about what happened. I get a phone call yesterday that a kid brought a knife to school, a second grader, 
and a ring. And he was going to stab my son and give the ring to my son's girlfriend because he liked her. Their exact words, they didn't want to put fear in the other students. So uh, he says the school said we did not alert any other parents because we don't want to raise the level of alarm here. We want to kind of keep this on the down low. I, but I don't understand that. One, you're leaving it up for other students that may have seen this to go home and tell their parents. And it may be something completely bigger than what happened here. So I think it would be imperative that the school say, here's here's what happened. Here's the facts, uh, just in case they hear something else. And I don't think that that raises the alarm for the other kids. You just say a weapon was brought to school. It was handled. Students been disciplined. And uh, the stabbing did not occur. He threatened, but he didn't follow right. through with it. And he was removed before he could do so. Let's go to Brent, who is a school administrator calling from Lubbock with Mark and Melinda. Brent, welcome. How are you, sir? Hey, doing great. I just kind of came in on uh, the conversation, uh, and I got in the truck here, and uh, I, I didn't even hear that story. But I will tell you that it is very difficult uh, with a lot of these districts that uh, decide that they're going to try to supersede state law and uh, not arrest children who bring knives and drugs and stuff to school. They even allow for what's called a district of innovation, if you call it innovating, which allows uh, schools to, well, basically, if a kid brings a, a marijuana to school, uh, they get a slap on the wrist and have to take drug classes for two weeks, and they're allowed to stay in the school population. Uh, they aren't, you know, they're sent home for like two days of ISS, but, uh, you know, and, and what they do is they sneak these policies in, uh, and parents have no clue that they're full with kids with drugs and stuff like that. And part of our problem here, uh, with weapons is that, um, of course at the school, if a kid brings a weapon to school, there are going to be consequences for it, but our district attorney and our juvenile detention facilities are so cram-packed full of kids and caseload that they end up doing nothing, nothing at all. And uh, it's it's uh, mayhem. That's up here, and I'm sure down there you've got a lot of a lot of stuff going on too, especially with a more liberal type uh, district. But it's yes. sad that uh, the way it's come out that there are no consequences. As an administrator, I can't imagine not informing all my parents that a kid brought a knife to school. I mean, that's a horrible, horrible decision for them to make. So I hope they get called out on it. Well, this way. backfired big time with them not telling because the dad went to the media stations and then told the story. Yeah. Well, and that's the danger you run. I mean, it's, it's, it's horrible, especially with social media. I mean, there is school districts used to be really good about varying things that happened, right? They could slide them under the rug and people would, would not hear about things that were happening in school. But with social media, these kids get on here in five seconds and everybody knows. You know, Billy brought a knife or, you know, there were, my friend had a joint in the cafeteria and then nothing happens. And so, uh, yeah, it's a horrible decision for you not to do that as an administrator. I couldn't imagine. <laughs> 
Brent, something like that. Brent, in, in your area there in Lubbock, what would be the consequences for an elementary student who brought a weapon to school and threatened another student? In this case, they would probably send him to a district alternative education program. Uh, the DAEP is what they call them. Uh, it would be a mandatory placement for uh, as little as 10 days or as many as uh, 30 days. The district attorney would do nothing. Well, there's a, you can't do anything to kids, juveniles under nine years old anyway. So there, there's no arrests made. There's no charges filed on a, on a second grade kid, no matter what they do. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but there would be some, you know, uh, school, school district uh, detention for a little while, and that would be it. And the district attorney wouldn't be able to do anything with it. Basically, it's a slap on the wrist. And hopefully when that kid came back to school, he would not still be in that same class with the one he threatened, right? That that would be part of this? Well, that could be part of it. Um, now, it depends on the administration. It depends on the parents. Uh, there's going to be a lot of talking going on. Some of the parents may say, I don't want that kid back in, in my around my kid. And rightly so, and the school would more than likely honor that. Now, the other part of that, though, is let's say it's a special program and and the kid is in that program. For instance, I have a program that's uh, all special education students with emotional disturbance. If that's their placement in special education, you can't take them out of that. By law, you have to follow their individual education plan that says they're placed in this program. So you run up against the thing where, yeah, this kid brought a knife to school, and yeah, they've gone to detention for 30 days, and now they're back on campus, but we can't send them to another campus because we don't have comparable services for them. And so you're stuck. It's a very difficult mm-hmm. dilemma that you face and uh, all of the public schools face. What a challenge. Yeah. District attorneys just need to get their heads out of their tail ends and start taking care of young people who are committing crimes because they're not gaining anything by getting away with it. Brent, thank you so much for checking in from Lubbock. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys, and y'all have a great day. Thank, thank you, you, sir. Too. You too. Take care. 512-836-0590. You know, the whole thing about not discipline the kids came because they were afraid it was going to create this pipeline that you went straight to to jail Mm -hmm. uh, if you did this yet that's exactly what they've created because these kids are not being disciplined they get the message that it's okay and so then they push the limit a little bit further and they're continuously getting in trouble that is going to eventually land them in jail if they keep that kind of behavior up and it's going to keep driving more of our teachers out Away. of the profession. Yeah. Yes, exacerbating the problem. Mm-hmm. Now, Sean wants to weigh in on the story out of Seattle, where that new uh, city ordinance is requiring a pay rate of $26 an hour or higher for people who drive for DoorDash, Uber Eats, and others. Sean, welcome. How are you doing, Sean? I'm doing good. I hope you all are well. Yes, we yes, are. Thank you. thank you. What are your thoughts on this, Sean? Well, over the years, the apps, these uh, companies have been taking more and more of the percentages of the, what the drivers earn, and they have been increasing the prices of what the passengers are paying. 
But lately, what we've had is for these deliveries, they'll the algorithms will present themselves with generic information of how much the ride will pay if you get a tip. And so when you, you get seven seconds to pick a ride or decide whether or not that ride's going to be profitable enough with the amount of time or mileage required, and all you're getting is a display of what your potential earnings would be if there's a tip included. When you finish the ride and nobody wants to really do what you face-to-face, they just say, leave it on the porch. Are you really going to get a tip? And after a couple times of doing that, the drivers are really starting to find out it's not worth it. Now, to say go get another job, yes, that's easy, but some of these drivers lease their vehicles or some people have, you know, limited skills. So if they get stuck in this, you know, it's a really a devastating cycle of uh, how much these drivers really earn. Um, what, what do you think of what the city council did in Seattle, which now has the drivers earning $26 an hour or higher? What, what's your well, thought on that they approach? To, they have to complete so many rides per hour, per driver hour, to be able to qualify for that $26 an hour. And what Uber says is they're going to flood the market with as many drivers. So that way you can't utilize your deliveries per hour or rides per hour. So that way they don't have to pay you your $26 an hour. And then also by raising, adding what the city council did was kind of a macro or small scale, you know, influence. But I mean, Uber's doing this to every state. I mean, every state right now, every major city's kind of protesting, or at least drivers are wanting to protest what Uber's been doing. I mean, even today, it's high demand right now, and rides are costing at least almost twice what they normally would cost. But yet, when I see a trip request come through, it's probably paying less than 50% of what the fare is, if that. This story, uh, this story gives the indication, Sean, that consumers have had an immediate reaction to mm-hmm. all of this. They have drastically reduced their orders for Uber Eats, DoorDash, well, etc., I sent y'all some text messages, screenshots of the fare request here in Austin, and it's like 30 minutes worth of time and, say, six or seven miles for $3. That's with the tip included. So if Uber has to make it profitable and they're only paying the driver $3 with the tip included, then what do you – Where yes, it's going to cost more, and the passengers are going to – or the customers are going to go other places or just not order anymore. I mean, literally, they're – the Uber is subsidizing the driver's vehicle and their time and their effort for the convenience of a delivered Happy Meal. And, of course, when it gets cost 5 or $10 more because that's what the driver actually needs to get paid to make that worthwhile, then they're not going to order it. But, you know, that's, that's Uber's fault for building a model that takes more than 50% of the fare. Sean, I saw today, or actually I saw earlier this week, that there was a planned strike with like Uber, Lyft, and some of the other things that were going to happen today. However, I haven't seen anything. Is is that in play for tonight, or did that get called off? Do you know anything about it? Uber's, Uber drivers are like wild cats. <laughs> and you can't corral them all. <laughs> and Uber offers incentive programs. The So you, if you do... Basically, 1,200 rides to about 1,200 rides a quarter. They'll give you free online courses for ASU. So they heavily 
push people who don't have high skill sets to these little online colleges. If you just go do, you know, 600 rides to 1,200 rides a, a quarter, we'll let you take classes. And, yeah, it's got its benefits, but if you go look at the airport cell lots where the drivers are at, they don't speak English. They, it's a really, like, it's a really hard, they're, they're, they're having a tough time. Because I've gone even talked to them and asked them, you know, why are y'all still here? Why do you have a $50,000 car note and you're taking rides that pay you 50 cents a mile? By the time you add up how many miles you have to put on that car to make it worthwhile, it, the math doesn't make sense. But they're trapped. They have nowhere to go or nothing else to do. Sean, thank mm-hmm. you, sir. Appreciate it. You have a great evening, Sean. We will work in more of your comments coming up just ahead. Calls and texts at 512-836-0590. It's Mark and Melinda. They're live, local, and talking about the stories that matter to you. Share your opinions with Mark and Melinda at 512-836-0590. Now, here are Mark and Melinda. People were shot today at the Kansas City Super Bowl parade. What's the latest on that one, Melinda? Well, they've been updating the numbers throughout the afternoon. Latest numbers, one person dead, 22 other victims in various stages of conditions, and then three people have been detained. Uh, Still no word on, and and the investigation, of course, is still ongoing on potential motive, uh, who these individuals were. So we will... Of course, they'll, they're going to continue to update this. I'm sure there will probably even still be updates well into tomorrow. One of the suspects tried to run from the scene and was tackled by fans who were there. Another one was uh, tackled by police mm-hmm. and taken into custody. I don't. I haven't seen what happened with that third. Well, it's interesting because when they had the press conference, one of the reporters said, I know y'all are saying two people detained, and that's what the off, the chief was reporting at that time. But they asked her, they said, we had, even after y'all came out with two people already detained, we caught on our video two others mm-hmm. that were being put into the back of a of cruiser. So it could be even up to four people detained. They have adjusted the numbers. And, and she said, listen, numbers are going to be changing. This is ongoing. Very active scene here. So that's the latest update. All right. Uh, Mike wants to weigh in on the story out of the Houston area about the seven-year-old second-grade boy who brought a knife to class and threatened to kill a classmate. Uh, Mike, welcome. How are you this evening? Mike, you're on KLBJ. Oh, yeah, it's me. Yes. How are you, Mike? I'm doing very well. Yes. What what are your thoughts on this story of the boy threatening a fellow classmate with a knife in the class? I I think this is a a general problem on any district because the same problem I have on LASD and Leander. Oh, one student uh, bring out like a knife and she treated my one of my my children and the assistant principal called me to say, hey, you know, something happened with this student. He, you know, he have a fucking like knife and we take care of that. And it was so mad because I said, what does the school do it to prevent? Thing like that, I think, well, we, it's not, they essentially they don't do anything because 
they, they still have policies about they're not allowed to search uh, a student backpack, you know, to find drugs or gang, whatever. Is that, and, is that student who threatened your child uh, back in the school? Oh, they said they will, will, they will send somewhere. The somewhere means Leo. Leo is the school they will send a student with a travel. Yes. And then they can be in Leo for one or two, three weeks, depending on the, the case. And after that, the student is, is back to the school. Mike, uh, what's the age of your child who was threatened with the knife? Uh, well, talking about 15, 16 years old. Okay. This is a, it's a big deal because, you know, the same way somebody can bring a fucking knife, they can bring a gun. Yes, I, I agree with you. It is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Mike, good luck with all of that. Thank you. 512-836-0590. You can call, you can text us. Uh, Ted is on I-35 on KLBJ. How are you today, Ted? I'm doing good. I'm a Uber driver. First of all, Uber Eats doesn't pay very well, but that's why I choose to drive. But this guy saying they take more than 50% out. That's not true. It's about 28 to 32%. And I just drive. I'm retired. I drive about seven, eight, seven, eight, seven to eight hours a day. So it's Monday to Friday, no evenings or, or overnights, and a very few weekends. But each week, on, on the low side, I clear between 900 and 1,000 a week on the low side. And it's not 1,200 rides every three months and get a bonus. It's 1,200 points, and they difference on the points, okay? So he, he's misleading you on some things, okay? The other guy that called in? Yes, yes. Yeah, I remember that call. All right, Ted, thank you. You have a good evening. 512-836-0590. And it sounds like it probably varies across the platforms, you know, from Uber to Lyft to Uber Eats to that they they may handle it all very differently. This is a story out of the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and it is a new twist on the fentanyl drug overdose death stories. A murder charge has now been filed against a girlfriend. The allegation is she gave a pill laced with fentanyl to her boyfriend, and he died. This happened back in November, and originally uh, she was hit with drug charges, but now they're adding a charge of murder. And there's a new state law that says it's a charge of murder for manufacturing or supplying fentanyl that results in death. And so she is now facing a murder charge. And authorities say they found lots of drugs in her purse. She was ordering drugs from Louisiana. There were drugs all over the room where her boyfriend was found dead from that fentanyl poisoning. Definitely needs the the drug charges and everything that goes along with that buying from another state. I don't know that I'm convinced yet on the murder charge. I need to know more information. One of the things that I would like to know, I know that she was the one that purchased it, but did he give her money to do it? Like this was something that they were going to do together. That I mean, that's a question that I, he obviously participated mm-hmm. in taking the drugs. He is an adult. Um, so... I would just I would need some more to convince me that this would that she was the supplier. Yeah, she purchased it, but I'm not sure that I would label that as the supplier. I, I'm going to 
take a guess that police have spent these last two or three months gathering more information. They're not revealing it in this news story, but I believe they probably found something on her phone, her computer records, that led them to have the confidence to say, okay, let's increase the charge to murder. Let's go with this new state law and try to convict her of murder. What we have so far in this story leaves a lot of holes Mm -hmm. in the whole outline, Uh, and you've just uh, delineated some of those, but they seem to be confident that they can convict her of murder on this new charge, supplying the fentanyl that killed her boyfriend. And if they were successful, I would. This has got to be the first, the first case like this. Yes, it would send a huge message. That's for sure. Um, We'll have to wait and see how this plays out. And again, I would, if they are able to move forward with it and take it to trial, I can't wait to hear the information that they've gathered, the evidence that they've gathered that led them to this was the appropriate charge. Police say in her purse they found 40 blue fentanyl lace pills marked with M30. They also found cocaine, oxycodone, and Xanax in her purse. They also found pills on the floor next to the bed where the boyfriend died, and they discovered that drugs were being delivered to her home from a drug dealer in Louisiana. And the drug dealers, uh, the phone revealed the sources of the fentanyl lace pills. Here it is right there in the story. Uh, they even have names of drug dealers in Fort Worth that she was working with. I, I still get all of that, but I'm not, I, I don't know that he wasn't an active participant in this. All right, that'll do it for today. Hey, we really appreciate your joining us. Great show Absolutely. today. Absolutely. We love it when you guys call in and yeah. let us know what's on your minds. A lot of great calls, a lot of great topics. We'll do it again tomorrow and every weekday afternoon, 2 to 6. Mark and Melinda, live and local. Happy Valentine's Day to all of you. Oh, yeah, I forgot. It's the day of love. <laughs> <laughs> Jack and Kyle, great job producing. The news is next. Dr. Mark Malone from Advanced Pain Care on how the spinal cord stimulator blocks pain signals, bringing patients relief at last. And we're able to tune this device to mimic that frequency and essentially block it. I've seen people shed tears of joy in the recovery room when they wake up from their light anesthesia and we turn this device on and they realize their back pain is gone. They cry for joy. Advanced Pain Care at 512-244-4272 or austinpaindoctor.com.